preach to you from Matthew Henry's commentary this morning. Actually, I'm not. This is going to be my uh, pulpit. Yeah, the, the ushers back there, they want to go to the children's meeting with the children, so they're reminding me. All the young people under age one, you can be dismissed now. No, I think the junior's church is up to about age what? Help me out, Wes. Up to third grade? Fifth grade? Fourth? Get out of here, okay? <laughs> Young people, you go ahead and get going. Well, they're uh, on their way out the door. Somebody dropped a very, very important piece of paper in the foyer this morning on their way in, and I almost hate to say what it is because you'll want it back. But if you if you drop this uh, and you see me after church, I'll make sure you get it, okay? I think I know which family it came from, but it says, bring this to the counter for a free scoop of ice cream or frozen custard. And then it says Culver's on there. So who wants to claim it? Uh, all the kids are raising their hand. I thought the kids were gone. They're still here, huh? Okay, well, that's, uh, that's up here, okay? So I appreciate somebody wanting to give me an ice cream cone. Um, you know, the Lord does have a sense of humor. Um, I've been, been trying to get out of a message. Those of you that have ever preached, you understand what I'm talking about. But um, several weeks ago, I was challenged by the Lord uh, to preach a message on, on suicide, which is a very, very serious message. And I said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. That's too, that's too heavy for such a bright and sunny day. And so uh, I started another message, and the Lord said, no, I want you to cover that subject a little bit. And I said, no, I don't, I don't think so. That's, it's, it's too hard and difficult. But uh, so what I did and uh, to get out of it was this morning's message I prepared an outline and I studied for several hours on Psalm 1. <laughs> and uh, Rich Moder in Sunday School said, open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 1. And uh, I think what happened was, I think my wife called the Modders and said, if you want to trick my husband, preach on Psalm 1 in Sunday School. That'll really throw him a curveball and he won't know what to share in church. And uh, when he said Psalm 1, I said, oh, my word, now what am I going to do? And the Lord said, I want you to share a few comments on the subject of suicide. So that's where we're at this morning. Now, I need your help. I really need your prayers because uh, preachers should have, uh, like an evangelist, they should have at least seven messages memorized just in case they get put on the spot like this and they're not able to preach what they rehearsed the last couple of days. And so, uh, but I need your help because it's been a while since I preached this other message, but I think it parallels very much the subject of suicide. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Psalm 121. And you pray for me because this is pretty much an unrehearsed message. Uh, you might have heard it before. I have used it on more than one occasion. 
probably have heard of people that have had this information in their Bible. Uh, and I think it's a good copy to have in your Bibles. Uh, if I think of it by next Sunday, maybe I can talk to pastor into inserting it in all the bulletins so you have it. Let me read it to you, and then we'll read Psalm 121, and I'll have a word of prayer. I'll try to get through this morning's message. Now, the nice thing about not being as prepared as you'd like to be for a message is you might get out of here before 12 o'clock, okay? Uh, you might get out of here a little early today because I don't have as much ready as I'd like to have ready. But the Holy Spirit leads, and the Holy Spirit will guide, so I will trust him to help me. Inside of my Bible, I have this note. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, the design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, it will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. That is a good reading, no matter who reads it. How many would like a copy for their own Bibles? I'll get them made. How many already have a copy? Okay, a few of you don't want it because it's too convicting. That's okay. Psalm 121, which is a psalm that I often share with people when they go through deep waters, so I'd like to read it and pray and get started. The psalmist writes, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Father, help this preacher this morning to be an encouragement with such a discouraging topic. Lord, help this preacher this morning to follow the leading and direction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help this preacher to be wise and helpful and be tender and gracious with what is shared. Lord, we pray for our preacher out out east in Michigan, that he would have the presence of the Holy Spirit as he preached, and his father as well. We pray, Lord, that uh, hearts will be stirred, lives will be challenged, and in some small way we'll be charged up 
to do your business in the week ahead. We do thank you, Lord, for loving us. We're thankful that this is the day you have made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it and help us to pay attention to your truth this morning in a way that only you can. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now, just a couple of things that I wanted to share with you before we get into uh, Psalm 1. I was pastor in Eulen, Minnesota for about 10 years. Right in the middle of that 10-year hitch, um, there were five deaths within about two months. Three of the deaths were teenagers. I know for sure that two of those deaths were teenagers who had a breakup with their girlfriend or boyfriend. Because of that breakup, they took their life. One of the teenagers was a young boy that had just been wrapped up in the wrong music with the wrong crowd. His mother was the post office manager in Twin Valley, and he ended his life. The other two that died was an older, an older couple, by couple I mean a father and his son. And I don't know the, all the circumstances, but I suspect the father was very, very ill, and the son nor the father did not want to deal with the illness. And so the father killed his dad and then killed himself. And uh, I've never forgotten that crisis. I've never forgotten that six-month period. I couldn't believe it. Within 10 miles of the church, five deaths, all with the exception of one much younger uh, dying than they should have been. But their lives preached to me in, in, in their deaths. And uh, shortly after that, I was so burdened to do more that I wrote, a, uh, I wrote an editorial to the newspaper, the Twin Valley newspaper. And in the article, I challenged people who were contemplating suicide to not think about themselves think about their loved ones and I basically what I said was we should not consider that ever as a believer because it equates with beating up your parents with an emotional baseball bat and I don't think anybody in here would do that to their parents but if a young person does take their life it's there's a lot of people left behind that have emotional upheavals and breakdowns and have emotional heartache to deal with because of that. We know in God's word that thou shalt not kill and we generally are very hushed and very quiet and we don't like to talk about this particular subject. But I do think it's good that preachers on occasion have a topical challenge. The topical challenge should be to stir your hearts and get you thinking. We want to warn you as believers that there might be somebody around you that is thinking about this. We want to remind you that the war is on and the devil is doesn't have much time left and he's mad as a hornet. His goal is to kill you and to stop your testimony. But then we also want to warm you up with God's word and give you some solid good help 
That's why we will be turning to Psalm 121. It just so happens that in the last two weeks, while I tried to talk myself out of this message, on the television, there was a documentary on the public education television about uh, suicides in Alaska amongst all the native Indians that were up there. And it was surprising to me how many young people would get lonely and get depressed and end their life. There's also been a lot on the news as of late, not that I spend a lot of time on the news because it's kind of depressing, but there's been much in the news about opioid uh, use and people taking their lives because of uh, pharmaceutical drugs and stuff that are in their system and they, they can't think properly. That has been in the news a lot. And you know that I'm a, I'm a veteran of the Vietnam era. I don't know how often it troubles you, but four times as many men who left Vietnam took their lives as were killed in Vietnam. They just were so discouraged, and so depressed, and so guilty about what they had done at the end of their life. And it's still happening, and I think the statistics today are uh, 23.5 or something like that per day, 23.5 veterans in their life. And so it is a, a subject that nobody wants to talk about, but it's also a subject that it would be good for us to be alerted as to what to say to others that you might think might be on the edge. And you never know. You might have already saved somebody from that step by just praying with them or by just sharing the word of God with them. You, you might have already saved a life by sending somebody a track or sharing with them Psalm 121. You don't know. I do know this at the conclusion of all my studies on this subject that pain and help and hopelessness are generally the two major ingredients that are involved. The individual is really overcome in a huge way with pain, or they are overcome with a sense of hopelessness and uselessness. I'm no longer of value. Nobody likes me. Nobody needs me. So I could just as well get out of here. And what I want you and I to do is I want you and I to be ready to help them with the Word of God. Because many times the Word of God is the only thing that keeps them alive. And I'm sure in this room, uh, one of the college professors years back said that, uh, what was the statistic? Don't quote me on this, but I think it was one in seven, one in seven Americans have been violated personally. Now, probably only one in 25 admit it, but about one in seven. And uh, there might be a person in this room that has thought about it. Nobody wants to admit it, because if you admit it, then they check you in to the hospital and they take you in for observation. But we, we can't help but thinking about it because it's in the news and it's around us and it's common. I wonder how many of you would raise your hand and say, I know somebody who has taken their life. Okay, there's about <laughs> almost everybody on this side of the middle section. I know somebody 
and over here, amazing. That's amazing to me that there's so many of you that know that. I have had relatives, I've had church members, I've had close personal friends, and I and I don't want it to happen again. So uh, let's see what we can learn from God's word in Psalm 121 that will be a help to them. Remember, we want to warn somebody who's in trouble. We want to remind them that the war is on and the devil is out to destroy their testimony. They're, the devil wants you to take your life because then he can stop your witness. But also we want them to know that it's a selfish act and we shouldn't kill ourselves. And so we want to warm them up with the truth of God's word. Psalm 121. The first two verses, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Point number one, God is a powerful God. Sometimes when we get to the end of our rope, we think nobody can help us, nobody cares, and nobody loves us. Three lies from Satan. God cares, God knows, and God loves you. If nobody else loves you, if you don't even love yourself, God loves you. And the one who hung the stars in place, and the one who gets the sun to shine, and the one who hangs the moon up there is our Savior. By him all things consist, we learn in the New Testament. He is powerful enough to take you from the very, very lower part of the snake's belly and lift you right out of that pit of despair and put you back on your feet. Now, usually it doesn't happen quickly, but he can help you if you'll trust him because he is a powerful God. And the psalmist is saying that my help comes from the creator of the universe. Now, some of you may go to psychologists and get your help from psychologists, and some of you may go to psychiatrists and get your help from psychiatrists. My wife, to be let out of the hospital several years ago, had to go through a psychiatric evaluation. She's not proud of that, and I'm not proud of that, but to get released, you've got to go through those things. And so I said, well, whatever it takes to get her out, let's do it. We were in the room of the hospital, and in came this slim drink of water with a with, with a hairdo that's like the size of a basketball, about the size of one of these light bulbs, all frizzied up. I mean, he had glasses on there were about two inches thick. And he walked with a book under his arms and a waddle into the room where it said the doctor's office. And I told my wife, I said, now remember, honey, he's going to help you. <laughs> she just kind of rolled her eyes and said, whatever. And I, I'm not, I know there are some Christian psychiatrists and I know there are some Christian counselors. But I tell you what, God made them too. And you need to be careful when you have counseling that tells you to disregard God and disregard his word and throw away that foolishness. What can God do? Don't you listen to those lies. Don't you listen to that foolishness. It'll take you right to the end of your rope. God made you, he cares about you, and he loves you, and he is powerful enough to help you no matter what you have done. From, from stealing a cookie from the cookie jar all the way to committing serious crime and combat in Vietnam. No matter what you have done, he wants to save you. And he's powerful enough to do that.
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That verse has saved more souls, perhaps, than any other verse in the Bible. One little stick of dynamite from heaven lands in the right place and a person sees that they can get saved and trust God with their future. So we see from the first two verses that he is powerful. He made the heavens, made the earth. He made you. Who better to help us than the one that made us? He's a powerful God. Second point, if you're taking notes, he's a protecting God. Look at verses 3 and 4. God will not suffer your foot to be moved. He's going to give you the stability that you need. He that keepeth thee will not sleep. God doesn't have to be woke up to your heartache and to your trial and to your tragedy. He, he never sleeps on the job. I got to tell you at least one funny story, but we had a Navy chief that was in our church in Bemidji, Minnesota when I was as teaching in a Christian school. And uh, this Navy chief had the job of trying to keep the soldiers awake when they were on guard duty. And I don't know how many of you are soldiers, and I don't know how many of you have had to pull guard duty, but I don't think there is a more boring duty in the world than guard duty. <laughs> I mean, it is really boring. So I asked this Navy chief, I said, how did you keep these young soldiers, 19, 20, 21 years old, how did you keep them awake out in the middle of the ocean on a ship when it was so quiet they could hardly stay? How did you keep them from falling asleep on guard duty? He said, oh, it was easy. He said, I just carried a pocket full of firecrackers, big ones. And he said, uh, I would watch these young recruits as they were on guard duty with their weapon and in most guard duty they do give you a chair to sit on which makes falling asleep that much easier so you're sitting on this chair and it's 2 30 a.m and you can't even hear a mouse that's the mice are even sleeping and you're trying to stay awake he says i get up about two and he says i go through the ship and he says i try to find one of these young soldiers that's sleeping on duty and he says, when I see his head go down for the third time, he says, I know they're sleeping. So he says, I reach in my pocket. I take out one of them big cherry bombs, one of them big firecrackers. And right next to every post where the guard is, there's always a cream can full of sand for cigarette butts. And that would be there so they could put their cigarettes out and not start a fire. So he said, I would take that big firecracker out of my pocket. I would light it. I would drop it in that cream can and kaboom it would go off and he says while that was happening I pulled my revolver out of my pocket and I held it up like this and as soon as this guard woke up with his eyes big as saucers he says I would go like this next time I won't miss and uh, he said that's how I keep them awake well I just want to tell you that God doesn't sleep on the job. He, he's protecting Israel, his favorite country. He's protecting America. You can see that. He's protected many of you, and he can protect anybody that's in a real crisis. If you'll just look to him for protection. He that keepeth thee will not sleep. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God is a powerful God. He loves us. He cares about us, and he can help us. He's a protecting God. He can protect you from all the ones out there that are trying to hurt you, and he can protect you from hurting yourself. 
And it's good, this is a good passage of scripture to have anybody that's contemplating suicide to memorize. Memorize it. He's a powerful God. He's a protecting God. Thirdly, he's a promising God. Look at verse number five and six. The Lord is our keeper. How many are saved today? You know you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Sure. Because we know whom we have believed and he is able to keep that which we've committed unto him. He keeps our soul. He keeps us. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our shade upon their right hand. The sun cannot smite thee by day nor the moon by night. He promises to take care of us. In verse number six, it talks about the sun and the moon, I think specifically because they were worshipped. The sun and the moon were false gods. And these false gods were always trying to corrupt and to kill and to crucify. God says, I can protect you from all that because I'm the keeper. We don't keep ourselves saved. He keeps us saved. And what a thrill that is. If he can keep our soul, he can help us keep our sanity. If he can help us keep our sanity, he can help us keep our senses. And if we keep our senses and we think about our parents and we think about our children and we think about those we love, we won't go down that suicide road. And a lot of folks need to hear that, especially the folks out there that might be struggling and they might be having great difficulty. It's sad, but even in the ministry, I have known preachers and preachers' wives who have taken their lives because the road is hard and the road is heavy. Uh, the other day I was in Walmart and a, a lady had a T-shirt on and right a right across the front of the t-shirt in big bold letters. Let's see if I can remember what it said. I believe this is what it said. I believe it said, this struggle is for real. Now, I don't know whether she was expecting a baby. I'm not sure what was going on underneath the t-shirt. But I, I, I just was stunned that she would have that on in large print on the front of her body. This struggle is real. And those that are full of guilt and full of sin and full of sadness and full of sorrow, that's a, it's a struggle for them. And they need the Lord's help, and the Lord might use you to offer that help to them. So a good thing to send them is a card thinking about you. Perhaps at the bottom write Psalm 121 and have them go there and read it. Think about it. He's a powerful God, verses 1 and 2. He's a protecting God, verses 3 and 4. He's a promising God, verses 5 and 6. And then finally, he's a preserving God. The Lord shall preserve thee. The idea there, he's going to keep us. He shall preserve thee from all evil, the evil of harming yourself or harming others. He shall preserve thy soul. Once saved, you're always safe. Your soul is in his hand if you've trusted him and given him your life. Your soul is in he, he can preserve that. The Lord shall preserve thy going out when you leave church and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. He can preserve us when we're in battle. He can preserve us in the ICU ward of the hospital. He can preserve us when our boyfriend leaves us. He can preserve us when our girlfriend leaves us. He can preserve us when our mom and dad are mad at us because he's a preserving God. 
He loves you. He wants to protect you. He wants to make he wants you to realize his promises are for real and he will keep them. And he wants you to realize that he can preserve you and take care of you. And he'll do that. And that's my challenge for this morning. You say, oh my, you can't stop now, it's too early. Well, don't tell Pastor Yoder. <laughs> you won't have me come back. I want to I close with the saddest of the suicide situations I've endured and watched. I befriended a classmate of mine. His name was Steve. Steve went to Vietnam, came back a decorated Vietnam veteran. Steve was a drunk, came back with a drinking habit, which, by the way, is not helpful. Get away from that stuff. That'll depress you like nothing else. And so in visiting Steve and chatting with him, I gave him a videotape of a sermon that I made on booze and liquor. And uh, I watched, he watched it, and a couple of weeks later when I visited him, he said, he said, Forsberg, he said, you lied. I said, what? I said, well, if I did, I didn't do it on purpose. Tell me how I lied. Well, it turns out in that particular video I had recorded, or I had said that I smashed my dad's 1974 pickup. And he, he picked that out. Out of all the little details in that hour-long sermon, he picked that out. He says, it couldn't have been a 74 because we graduated in 66. He says, it would have had to have been a 64. I said, well, Steve, I'm sorry that I lied to you. It was a 64 pickup. It wasn't a 74. I said, but did you learn to stay away from the liquor? And he said, yes, I did. He said, it was helpful. He says, when I go to the bottle, I get depressed, I get discouraged, I start feeling sorry for myself, and I want to end my life. Well, we witnessed to Steve for the better part of a year or two. One day he asked me for a favor. He said, will you take me to the liquor store? I said, no way. Something had happened. Tragedy or trauma had happened in his life. And he wanted to ride to the liquor store. His doctor had told him that because he had no spleen, he left his spleen in Vietnam on a tree. Because he had no spleen, the doctor told him, if you drink whiskey, it'll kill you. He knew that. I didn't know that at the time, but he knew that. And so he said, uh, will you take me to the liquor store? I said, no, Steve. I said, no matter what problems you've had, I am not taking you there. I, he said, well, what should I do? I said, well, you should get something to eat. And you should let me pray with you and calm me down a little bit. So we stopped in front of a restaurant in Thief River Falls. and He goes in the restaurant he snuck out the back door of the restaurant, and guess where he went? He went to the liquor store. Well, I waited in the car, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and after about 50 minutes, I said, there, that rascal isn't coming back. I went in the restaurant, and I said, he went out the back door. And he went out the back door, the liquor store was just a few steps away, and I said, you know, Baptist preacher or not, I'm going in looking for this fellow. And I went in the municipal liquor store in Thief River Falls, and I said, look, I'm a Baptist preacher. I hate this place. I don't want to be in this place, but I'm looking for a friend of mine by the name of Steve. 
And they said, Steve just picked up his, his booze, and he left. And I shook my head, and I said, oh, my, what next? That night, that very night, he ended his life the way the doctor told him to. Just the liquor got to the working in his body, and no spleen, and he was dead. You see, well, what was it that made him so depressed and so discouraged? I heard details. I'm not a police officer, and I'm not a doctor, so I can't. I can only suspect what happened. He had a girlfriend, and all, all Steve wanted, and Steve would have been about 35 years old at this time, all Steve wanted was to have a child. All he wanted was a little baby. That was his, he was living to have a baby. And his girlfriend got pregnant. And without his consent and without his knowledge, she ended that baby's life with an abortion. That is, I believe, the thing that tipped him into a suicidal mode and caused him in his life. Went to his funeral a few days later in a large Lutheran church in Thief River Falls. I remember the funeral. Uh, I don't know the soloist, who it was and what he sang, but I know that he sat way up in the balcony so nobody could see him. And, and he sang one of the great hymns of the faith. And the preacher preached and he buried his body in a grave. And Steve went home to heaven, I believe, early because of not trusting Christ like he probably should have. Let's stand and have a word of prayer.